You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, once again, I'm not disappointed I showed up to church this weekend. That's so great. Praise the Lord. You know, we gather in a way that the world just does not, it cannot offer. It can't, there's no sporting event. There's no business seminar. There's no entertainment movie. Just, it cannot offer what the Lord Jesus Christ alone provides. Just before we get into our uh, final message of this um, series in Philippians, I want to set up next week where we're going. I'm very excited about this. We are doing a six-week sermon series with our teaching team, which is going to be called this At His Feet. You might be like, all right, what's up with that? And why are the feet of Jesus circled right now? So in the Gospels, this exact phrase shows up um, a few times. And what we're going to do is we're building a sermon series around where this phrase, at his feet, or something very, very close to it, where it shows up within the Gospels. So one of the things as a preacher, what you do is you have something that's called a sermon series crockpot. And when you get ideas throughout the year, you throw these ideas for a sermon series in this spiritual crockpot, and it kind of cooks over time. And I've had this series in my sermon series crockpot for months now, And I gladly, in some ways, though reluctantly, gave it up to the teaching team to say, man, I really really think this is a great idea. I want you guys to do it. They have bought in. We're really excited. And so we sat down together. Um, I worked with them. They worked with me. We planned out the whole thing together and all the themes. And so we're going to be looking at six individuals in the Gospels whose lives were radically changed as they found their place at the feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, Think of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. The Syrophoenician woman, and she's there, she's saying, I'll even take the crumbs and the, and the power of healing that came upon her family. And we think about the situation, too, of the man who's possessed by demons and is completely insane. Jesus comes in, saves him, rescues him. The next scene, he's sitting calmly, sanely at the feet of Jesus while the world around him is going nuts. There's no more powerful position to live in than at the feet of Jesus. We're going to see here, it's the position of faith and peace and devotion. It's the place when we're most desperate, we must, we must go to. When we're broken, we're at the sinful woman, Luke 7. Beautiful. She's weeping at the feet of Jesus. And gratitude, we end this series with the ten lepers. And the one returns to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, we're the other nine. What a great way to end our ministry year as well. So I'm hoping that you're excited already. I'm very excited to see how this all goes. And so we're going to start this, Lord willing, next weekend. And we're going to look again at six different lives in the Gospels where their lives were changed with the posture and the position at the feet of Jesus Christ. All right. Now on to our final message in Philippians. It's hard to believe this started in early January. And thanks for your perseverance in that too. It's been a while, but it also has gone by fast. And so today to end our series in Philippians, we're going to go to school, all right? We're going to school. I don't want to hear any groaning, especially from the university students. We just finished school, Robbie. I know, I know, it's all right. This is going to be fun school. At least it's going to be very, very transformational school. In fact, our sermon title is The School of God's Provision. The school of God's provision. We're going to ask and answer this. Ready? What does it mean to know the provision of God in our lives? I think I have most of your attention right now because this is the topic that we really care about and we think about a lot. 
What does it mean to know the provision of God in our lives? We long for God's provision. We pray for God's provision. What is the secret to God's provision within our lives? And that's what we go to school for today. And I'm particularly excited for class today as well. However, just like any good school, we're going to start with a test, all right? A pop quiz, if you will. The groanings really did begin right there, all right? So we're ending Philippians today. So I wanted to have some fun at the same time. I wanted to see kind of where we're at. And we're going to take a Philippians quiz. Yay! That's so exciting. So fun right on. We can't wait. So I hardly ever say this in church, but please close your Bibles, all right? Because no cheating, no cheating. Close your Bibles. You can leave a marker in Philippians 4, whatever it is, okay? <laughs> and as we do this, no looking at the person beside you, all right? No cheating. We're going to have cameras set up in here. We don't, we don't, well, I guess we do, but you know. <laughs> I want you to write down one through five on, the, on your sermon notes, okay? One through five is going to be pretty quick, okay? And we're going to have five questions plus a bonus question, one through five. Let's see how you do. We've been through Philippians. It's been months now. Hopefully we've learned. And by the way, there's some verses we read earlier in the service, and they were really helpful. You know what I'm saying? All right? So hopefully you're paying attention to that too. Here's our first question with our Philippians pop quiz. Some of you are like our guests right now, and you're like, do you guys always do this? No, we don't, but you're in luck tonight. All right? All right. First question, the letter of Philippians was written by blank. Yeah, well, no, don't say it aloud. What are you doing? Come on. No, the answers are coming after. All right, we all got that one. If you didn't hear it, that's, you're really going to pray for you or something, all right? So was written by blank. Don't say it, okay? To believers in the city of, don't say it, but, but you got to fill in that blank, okay? You got to fill in that blank. Question, I started easy, loved ones, really easy. Again, if you've been here and you can't get this one, man, I, don't, I just don't know what to say about that, all right? You just write down, you don't write down the whole thing, just, just write down the blanks here. Question number two, what is the title of our series and what is our theme verse, all right? What is the title? <laughs> I really hope we get these ones because it's really discouraging for a pastor if we can't, all right? So provide chapter and verse number, so uh, name of our series theme and uh, chapter and verse of where that comes from, Okay. Next question, question number three. I'll give you just a couple seconds to get that one down, all right? Question number three. Where in Philippians do you find the humiliation and exaltation of Christ? So you can put like uh, chapter and verse section. Where in Philippians, this is one of the most powerful, majestic uh, passages in Scripture uh, at all, okay? So where do you find that in Philippians? And you really have a, one choice out of four when it comes to which chapter it's in anyways. Question number four. Finish this sentence from Philippians 3.10, okay? This was our Easter text. That I may know him and the power of, don't, don't, don't say it, okay, but fill in the blank. Power of his, and may share his, fill in the blank, okay? That I may know him and the power of his blank and may share his blank, becoming like him in his, and then fill in the blank. Make sure no one has the Bible open or their, your phone. Make sure all phones are shut down too, all right? No cheating, no cheating, all right? Last couple questions, number, number, number five. What chapter and verse do you find the phrase, do not be anxious about anything? What chapter and verse? What chapter and verse? We've got to know this. This is easy, man. This is easy, but it's also fun. And then bonus question, just in case you're feeling bad about yourself. Bonus question is, Philippians 1 verse 5 says that as believers, we are partners in the fill in the blank. All right? Some of you are loving this. Some of you are still confused while we're doing it. That's all right. 
All right, let's go back now and let's fill in the answers, okay? Number one, fill in the blanks right there. Letter of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to believers in the city of Philippi. Nice, nice, okay? So technically you can get two marks for that if you want to. It doesn't matter to me. So question number two. What is the title of our series? What is the theme verse? Provide chapter and verse number. Citizens of heaven, please let me say you got that one, all right? And the verse, of course, is Philippians 3. Verse 20, got to have that memorized. Got to have that memory. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not Canadian, we're? Heavenese, yes. All right. Third one, where in Philippians do you find humiliation, exaltation of Christ? The answer, survey says, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Oh, I was close. Oh, I almost got that. That's great. Four, finish this sentence, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, oh, and may share his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. That's, that's incredible. Uh, question number five. You want to do this every week now, don't you? Eh? Eh? Yeah, yeah, you're loving it. I know. Chapter five, the answer is Philippians 4, verse 6. All right? <laughs> I love the Saturday night service. So great. Do you guys know you're the most fired up of the three? Do you know that? No, you are. You are, yeah. Don't, don't tell Sunday morning, all right? But yeah, no, no, it's true. Bonus question. Philippians 1.5 said, as believers in Christ, we are partners in the gospel. Yes, partnership in the gospel. And that's why we gather right now. The best partnership in the history of the universe. There's a buzz in the room. How exciting. How exciting. All right. So let's get down to business then. Uh, school today. Again, the school of God's provision Philippians 4, we'll start at verse 10 and we'll read to verse 13. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I want to circle that, underline that, that's important. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Okay, let's stop there. This takes us to our first lesson when it comes to the school of God's provision in our lives. Number one is this, I must learn the power of contentment. If I'm going to understand what it means to be in the um, uh, arena or the sphere of God's provision, to see his provision, I must learn. It's so important to learn the power of contentment. So notice, first of all, Paul is rejoicing in the Lord, notice. But he's rejoicing in the Lord that the Philippian church has revived their concern for him. Now, what does that mean? We're going to see in the context of what follows Paul is referring to their practical financial gifts that they made to the Apostle Paul in his mission for the gospel. But Paul quickly wants them to know, though, the greater lesson that he has learned in the midst of their generosity towards him. Look at verse 11. For I have learned, that's important to you, you want to underline that, I have learned in whatever situation I am, that's whatever situation, he has learned to be content. Uh, notice verse 12. I have learned. I have learned the secret of facing plenty 
and hunger. Now the word learn here in the original is important. The word learn means to have learned from experience over time. So we got this. Paul's giving us information which is important. God has placed Paul in a school or a classroom over time, listen, where he has learned progressively, Paul has learned the power of contentment. Let's just stop right there for a second. What Paul's telling us, as he has grown in maturity in Christ, one of the major lessons he has learned was contentment in Christ and therefore in the world and life he's living. Question, are you growing in Christ? Am I growing in Christ? One of the biggest ways we know we're growing in Christ in this passage right here is we are growing in contentment. Are you growing in contentment? Now think about it. If we're growing in complaining, if we're growing in restlessness, if we're growing in thinking that we have nothing, if we're growing in wanting more, if we're growing in greed, those are very, very bad signs. We're moving away from Jesus, not towards him. One of the great factors that Paul here was being used of the Lord, and God was maturing him. He says, I have learned, I have learned the secret, he says, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and poverty. Amazing. So contentment is such a big deal. Why? Why is contentment such an important lesson? Well, if you take what our text says here right now, and this will be on the screen for you as well, okay? I want you to see this. Contentment is so big deal because it applies to every situation we face. Look at, look at in verse 11. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am. Contentment covers every situation. Contentment also, it overrides the fluctuations of life. Look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He's like, whatever happened, sometimes he's in the plenty, sometimes he's in poverty. In whatever situation, though, he's learned to to, um, navigate the ups and downs of life. How? Contentment. Contentment is the secret to powerful living. Again, look at the second half of verse 12. I have learned the secret facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. That's that's powerful. Paul is saying, if I have nothing, I've learned to be content. If I have uh, abundance, then I've also learned to be content. Have we learned that? That's powerful. Often like when we're in abundance, yeah, everything's great. But all of a sudden, when all of a sudden we're in need or poverty, so to speak, then all of a sudden we start distrusting God. God, where are you? But see, contentment is found in all situations. And then finally here we see contentment employs the strength of Christ in my life. Verse 13, um, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. So needless to say, love you've got to pick up what the Holy Spirit's putting down right now. Contentment is a huge deal for all of our lives. Now, in the original, in the Greek, the word for content in verse 11, um, that word was very popular among Greek philosophers to describe a self-sufficiency. When they said, we are content, they said, I am sufficient in myself. In fact, among Greek Stoics, to be self-sufficient was the most valuable attribute of a wise person. So one of the greatest uh, virtues and attributes they held up in the context when Paul was writing this was I am content, I am self-sufficient, therefore I am wise. Think of how, how that has uh, carried over into the philosophy of our day as well. The emphasis in our day of self-sufficiency in the sayings like you can do it. And again, like last week, believe in yourself or the power is within you. Uh, I am self-sufficient. 
That's how you find inner peace. Look within. All that mumble jumble that goes on in our day. What Paul does here, though, he does not find sufficiency in self. His sufficiency is in Christ. Again, look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So he's saying here, he says, my contentment is in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ through him. And by the way, um, many of you know this, some of you need to know this. Philippians 4.13 is one of the most misused and abused scriptures in the New Testament. People stand up and they claim, I can do all things through Christ. So they, just, they claim on every aspect of their life and somehow thinking. But remember, the context is explicitly in this passage. It's contentment. It's I can be content in all things and all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. If you look at the verse or the phrase all things in, in verse 13, well, that's referring back to whatever situation in verse 11 which is also referring to every circumstance in verse 12. And this is all speaking of contentment. Paul's saying, whether plenty or hunger, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So you gotta know this. Philippians 4.13 is not to enter into a boxing match and say, I will win because Christ will strengthen me. And speaking of that, here's a picture in the past you probably are familiar with, right? So this, this happens a lot in athletics. And we see the verse right down here, Vander Holyfield, great guy, great guy, man. He won a lot of matches, but he went in. He's even signing in here, Philippians 4.13, right? And so but the problem is he went to some matches and I saw him get destroyed, all right? So what happened, man? I thought Christ can do all things through, who strengthens you. Maybe not that time, maybe, maybe whatever, he just wasn't around, right? So we got to understand, this isn't about getting into a sporting event and saying, I will win because I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. This is in the context of contentment in the highs of life and the lows of life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I apologize if I just burst some people who thought Philippians 4.13 meant other things. But it's important to what the Bible says about that, isn't it? So, how do we apply this then? How do we apply this verse and this passage? We'll look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I, th- this is such important stuff for all of us right now. Like our context, our society, our greed... I mean, just imagine adding up all the different desires in the room right now. Gotta take this for what it is. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Notice Paul repeating himself. Do you see it there? He says, I know. I know. I have learned. Paul's excited about what he has learned. He has learned contentment in poverty and abundance. He has learned contentment in humiliation and prosperity. He has learned contentment in hunger and plenty. But please listen. What was the secret in verse 12? What's the secret to having contentment and whether you're impoverished or whether you have plenty? Here's the secret. When you've been given Jesus Christ, which equals everything, Ultimately, loved ones, there's nothing else you or I need. Pause, think, apply. If we've been given everything in Christ Jesus as the single greatest treasure of infinite worth, ultimately then, there is nothing else we need in this life. 
I mean, let's just do a review. We've done this a little bit already in this service. Let's just do a review from Philippians alone on this theme that Christ by himself is everything we could ever need, okay? First verse, Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are we learning here? Christ is my life. If I have Christ, if I have Jesus, if I have um, uh, believed in him and he's forgiven my sins, there's nothing else I need. He is life itself. Next verse, Philippians 3.8. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpass, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, because of the surpassing worth, worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen, for his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What do we learn here? Christ is my worth. Christ is my, see, when all your value is found in Jesus Christ, then you look at the world and you're just like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what I have or don't have. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. I got Jesus. He's my worth. Um, word for moms right now, eh? I just love speaking about moms. Your worth, women, women, your worth is in Jesus. Your worth is not in your appearance. Your worth is not in your clothing. Your worth is not in how things you say or the places you hope to. Your worth is not based on kind of what's happening through your life and how your kids are doing. No, 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 no. Your worth is Jesus Christ. And you take that to the spiritual bank right now. You throw it in the face of all the lies of our society. Jesus Christ calls you daughter. What else do you need? Or at least God the Father calls you daughter and Jesus Christ is your Savior. What else do you need? Next slide. Philippians 3, 14, 15. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Listen, Christ is my prize. The only thing I'm ultimately seeking to achieve in this life by grace is that Jesus Christ is my prize. I, I press on the prize, the upper call, Christ Jesus. Ready, ready? If we're mature, we think this way. If we're mature, we know that he is my prize. Not the next vacation, not the next car we want to get, not the next item, not the next gadget, not the next truth. No, no, no. Christ is my prize. Next verse. Philippians 3.20. We know this verse. We know it well. Our citizenship is in heaven. We await our Savior, Jesus. Christ is my identity. He is my citizenship. This is, this is my destination, Jesus Christ, my identity. Just think, think, take it in, take it in, man. People around you, they're so mean to you. People say this and that. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, their words will fall. The word of Jesus will last forever. Last one here, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the, tell me, Lord, always again I will say, rejoice in the Lord. So Christ is my joy. He's my joy. Not my circumstances I hope to get better, not the job I hope to have, not the relationship I'm hoping ultimately that will be, come around my way. No, no, no. At the end of the day, Jesus Christ is my, everything else will let us down. So you see, when you know you've been given everything, then it changes what you strive for it allows you to start experiencing contentment on a new level. Paul is going out of his way to communicate that to us. I came across a couple of, I think, nice little stories this week I wanted to share with you because I appreciate them. Philip Parham is the name. He tells the story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. 
Because I've caught enough fish today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them? You could earn more money, came the impatient reply. And buy a better boat so you go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman, the fisherman then asked, and then, then when, what would I do? You could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now, said the fisherman. <laughs> as he looked placidly out at the sea. Now, listen, are we in favor of hard work? 100%. But what are we working for? The ability to sit still and know that he is God. The ability, isn't it, isn't it, you like me sometimes, it is so powerful to look at all the messages of this world and be like, I don't need you. I'm good. I don't need that. I don't, all the advertising you want, it's not true. I'm not going to be a better person if I have your, your, your shirt on my back or I have your jewelry on my neck. No, 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 no. I got everything I need. It's so powerful to stare right in the face of the demonic system of our world, which is rooted in luxurious living, all kinds of stuff. I look at it and be like, you're wrong. I don't need you in your face. Lie. Jesus Christ is all I need. It's powerful. It's not wrong to have clothing. Thank you for dressing up and wearing clothing today at church. It's not wrong to have jewelry. It's not wrong to drive a car. It's like, this, that's not wrong, but hear what's happening here. It's so powerful to look and say, Christ is enough so powerful. Think about it. Why is consumer debt all-time high? One of the main reasons is a lack of contentment. It's one of the main reasons. Why are you, some of you right now, you're overspending. You're, you're spending more than you make. Why? You have to answer that question. It's a problem. It's a heart problem. It's a lack of contentment problem. Um, why can't we sit still uh, uh, moving jobs, moving houses, moving communities, moving relationships, moving churches. One of the main reasons for that is a lack of contentment. We must have more. We must have bigger. We must have better. We must have different. We must have newer. Just think about it. Why is the divorce rate so high? One of the, one of the reasons is a lack of contentment. I wish it was like this. I wish it was, I, I should get, I, Really? I know it's complicated. I'm just saying, man, one of the reasons. Why so much addiction? Why so much greed? There's various reasons for this. One of the reasons is, though, I'm not content. This world is not giving me what I need. And so perspective, as Paul is filling Philippians with, perspective is powerful. One other story I wanted to share with you. I love this one, too. There's a story about a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi and complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answered, take your goat into the room with you. Take your goat. The man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say, come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, looking more distraught than before. We can't stand it, he told the rabbi. The goat is filthy. The rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned, radiant, exclaiming, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat. Only the nine of us. And the author of the story says, perspective helps, doesn't it? Perspective brings contentment. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis. I haven't been able to track this quote down officially, but I was told C.S. Lewis said, with gratitude comes contrast. When you know you've been given everything ever in Jesus Christ, then you learn the secret of facing plenty and hunger 
of poverty and abundance. Because it's like, loved ones, I mean, if you, like even as I preach this, I'm just like, man, the more I can live this, the more powerful life becomes. Again, you can just filter through all the garbage and look at it and be like, okay, that's not wrong, but it's also not necessary. Like to look at it and see if what it is. It's when you're craving and longing and you're restless and why can I have? And it's driving your whole life and your whole heart. That's where we're in such danger. And Paul's like, Paul's like, I'm thankful for the gift. We're gonna see that now. I'm thankful for your, for your financial contributions to the gospel in my life. But he said, at the end of the day, I have Jesus and that's all I need. It's awesome. Lesson number one is I must learn, for God's provision, I must learn the power of contentment. Lesson number two then is this, of God's provision, his school, I must experience the blessing of giving. I must experience the blessing of giving. Look at verse 14 now. Yet, see you're Paul, Paul, Paul transitioning, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in terms of contentment, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when the gospel first met them, through Paul's ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul is demonstrating he has proven contentment, yet he doesn't want this to diminish his joy or gratitude for the practical or financial support towards him by the Philippian church. See, saying? I'm totally content, but I'm really also thankful. I'm thankful how God has used you. In fact, in verse 15, it says the Philippians were supporting Paul when no one else was. So this was huge, and that's beautiful. I love how one commentator pointed this out. He says, it's remarkable that these details are included in God's word. Right? Like, just that the Holy Spirit would take the time to write down for all generations forever the fact that the Philippian church were meeting the practical needs of the Apostle Paul. It teaches us this, okay? What is given to the Lord's servants is given to the Lord himself. Every cent is recorded by God. Every act written down, every act of grace and generosity will be rewarded in some form in glory to Jesus Christ, again, throughout all of eternity. Just this past week, my wife Jill and I, we were discussing supporting and blessing certain individuals that we care about and are excited to see God working through them. And you know, you're there and you're like, oh, you know, like, okay, this is, this is going to be like a sacrifice. And you're, and you're like, well, let's just do it. Like, let's just do it. And then I came across this passage later on in the week and I was so greatly encouraged because I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Rob, don't you see? Don't you see, Robbie? As you give to his servants, you're giving to the Lord himself. Like it was such a beautiful, powerful thought. And it's like, man, got to do that more. When you give to the servants of the gospel, you're giving to Jesus himself. And it just, it changes. I mean, sometimes we hesitate and we, we get so cheap or stingy. And we're, and we're, by the way, we're often just accumulating stuff for our own lives. But then to be able to bless and give and to sit there and say, I'm giving it to the Lord. That's awesome. Look at this verse on the screen from Luke's gospel, chapter 6. Verse 38, so this is in the context of giving. Um, the ESV study Bible is really helpful here, so I just kind of recorded what they said here. Um, so notice, be given. Uh, if you give, and it will be given, given by God. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, it will be given by God in good measure. Um, that means not meagerly 
God will, if you give, God gives back in abundance. It will be pressed down. So he gives back. It's like when you are pressing something in so there's as much space as possible to add more. It will be shaken. Um, so you're, you're, you're sifting the contents so it's settling down so more can be added. Maximum fill. It says running over. There's a, um, a, a, a heap forming on the top of what's being given. Um, your lap, it says. Picture um, um, in ancient days a, a robe and you're gathering your robe as like a big container of which you have totally filled. That, that's the picture here. Notice the measure you use it will be measured back to you. It's pretty hard to miss what Jesus is saying here. This is all in the context of giving. You reap what you sow, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. You know, I said to myself a few times again this week, loved ones, and this text, it just kind of snuck up on me again. You're coming to the end of Philippians, and you know there's some greetings, and you know maybe 4 verse 13, but then you're this section, you're like, man, look, look what the Lord's telling us again. I said to myself a few times this week, Robbie, you can't outgive God. Like, you just can't outgive Him. And it really becomes a test of faith. And it's so exciting where God, in Malachi 3, test me. You see, I'll not pour out the blessing, all in the context of giving as well. Along with giving to the Lord is the promise. Listen, you have to see this right in this text, undeniably. When we give to the Lord, there's a promise of his provision in our lives. A provision of grace, a provision of joy, a provision of the practical. We'll get to that in in just a second. However God provides, he decides, but you will not be disappointed. God promises to provide to the individuals who give towards his gospel. But listen, he wants to see hearts that give. So this is a very, very important sentence I'm about to read here, okay? It's this, okay? Simply put, if I kind of summarize this part right here, loved ones, you cannot know the full provision of God apart from giving to his work and his kingdom. I'll say it again. You have to hear this. Undeniably, irrefutably from his word today, you cannot know the full provision of God if you fail to give towards his work and kingdom. It's just right here. Why does God care so much about this? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. If you're here right now and your giving is like weak and meager and stingy and miserly, you are forfeiting blessing of some kind. Guaranteed. I have no apology saying that. If you're just storing up for yourselves in bigger barns, your reward is here and now, not in the world to come. I'll say it one more time, because this is one of the greatest problems of our day. That's why Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. A failure to give to the work of the Lord and his kingdom. You are forfeiting blessing upon your life and you cannot know the full provision of God in some form, in some way. And right now, that explains why some of us are struggling so much. Not just financially, relationally, seeing God's joy in our lives. I'm telling you. It's part of what's happening there. When you hear me, I'm not preaching prosperity right now. I'm preaching provision. I'm preaching God and what he says and the way that he decides. 
he promises to provide. Look at verse 17 now, okay? Not that I seek the gifts. See, Paul's heart's not set on this. He's not set on the financial gifts of the Philippians, but he says, look at this, look, this is amazing. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's using accounting terms now. Paul's using the language of an investment manager. I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Watch this. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So this is exciting. In verse 17, the fruit of giving, that's the context, is increasing dividends, profit to their account. As I said, Paul is speaking in financial terms, in management terms. He's indicating here their giving is an investment of eternal proportions. There's interest compounding. There's dividends accumulating, which will be revealed at the day of Christ Jesus. Now that's awesome. So Paul is saying, I mean, just that phrase right there, but the fruit that increases to your credit, Paul is saying our giving is gathering supernatural interest. Whether we see it all here and now, the day will come where the generosity of God's people will be rewarded with something glorious and amazing when Jesus Christ returns. So, here's a time for wisdom right now, right? Wisdom time. Again, if you're living for this world, that's your reward, the world. Please understand that. If all you're living for is now, you've got your reward, loved ones. And it's not that great, is it? But if we give to the work of the kingdom, there's a greater reward to come then. Say, so how do we do that? By faith. By faith, we live for him who matters. We invest in the gospel. Let us live that this fruit, look at the fruit, might be seen. Our accounts are growing in spiritual profit. That's awesome. Notice in verse 18 now. Their giving is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I mean, wow. Paul is adopting Old Testament sacrificial language regarding their giving. That, that's a really big deal. Was there a higher level of value to the Lord than the sacrifices in the Old Testament of his people to him? But this, loved ones, what Paul's doing is taking this now into the New Testament and he's using the same terminology to say this is the spiritual value of giving to the work of Christ. It's amazing. It's a, it's a fragrant offering. Now listen, when we take up the offering here at church, it is truly that, an offering. Like it is worship. It's right here. When we give to the gospel, it's a fragrant offering to God. There's, 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 there, there's an aroma rising up into the nostrils of God. It's a sacrifice acceptable. It's pleasing to God, he says right here. Amazing. I mean, look at what Paul's doing. You think Paul is being a little bit dramatic? I guess not. He's just unpacking it. The power 
of giving to the kingdom by those who have a heart for Christ and His work. The offering rising as a fragrance to the Lord. Our giving is sacred in the eyes of God. Sacrifice acceptable. Our giving is pleasure to the heart of God. It pleases Him. 2 Corinthians says God loves a cheerful giver. Think about that. It pleases. It pleases the Lord. Question. It's got to bottom line it right now. Question. Are you giving? Are you giving to the work of the Lord? Is it generous? Is it sacrificial? Is it cheerful? The Philippians had this figured out, man. And Paul was like, wow, you guys, you guys are such a blessing. Your treasure is where it's supposed to be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Finally, notice in verse 19. Their giving will be met with God's supply. Okay, here's the promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Notice here that God promises to supply our needs, not our greeds, as the saying goes. But notice he promises to provide our needs nonetheless. So don't miss this promise. Loved ones, ready? God is saying to those who faithfully give to him, ready, here it is, they will never lack as he decides. But that's a promise you take to the bank, spiritually speaking. Those who faithfully give to him, they will never lack as God decides. It's not how we decide. It's how God decides, okay? Why? Look at verse 19. He will supply according to his riches in glory. Notice, it's not out of his riches, right? If a person with a million dollar million dollars gives like five bucks, they're giving out of their, of their riches. But when they have a million dollars and you give a hundred grand, well, that's giving according to their riches. How rich is Jesus? Uh, pretty rich. He will supply according to his riches, the glory and infinite blessing of his riches, the infinite abundance of, of the riches found in Christ Jesus. Um, he's not going to run out of the ability to supply you or me. I read recently Psalm 50, 11. God says, for every beast is mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine. It's all mine. He just did whatever he wants to do, man. Whatever he wants to do. Don't you love the story sometimes of those that are you know, anti-God, anti-Christ, and they have this massive, massive fortunes, and somehow God just ordains that their fortune is now left to some kind of charity that's serving him the gospel. I love when those things happen. He does whatever he wants, man. He's like, yeah, thanks, that's, that's mine, bye-bye. And just hands it over to the people over here, yeah, I'll give it to you. He does whatever he wants, man. He does whatever he wants because he is God. This is the God who promises to provide for us. So consider all this truth in the school of God's provision, right? We simply forfeit blessing when we don't give. Again, it's right here in front of you today and me. So, the school of God's provision. Learn the power of contentment. Experience the blessing of giving. It's amazing how in God's economy, giving is how we see God's provision. And then thirdly, we'll just be really brief here, I must go in the grace of Christ. When it comes to God's provision, I must go in the grace of Christ. Look at how Paul ends his letter. So he, he has some greetings here. He loves his brothers and sisters. Look at verse 23, though. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. How did Paul begin this letter? 
uh, grace and peace to you. How does Paul end this letter? The grace, notice, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Loved ones, ready? I love how it ends this way too. I only got a couple seconds, but I want to say this. How do we ultimately see contentment when we see God's grace? When we recognize the grace of Jesus in the gospel, we are content. How do we give? How do we give when we see God's grace? It's all come down to grace. How do we go in the instruction of the letter to the Philippians? It's God's grace. It's all grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Joy's mentioned, what, 15 times or so in Philippians? Uh, Jesus has mentioned 50, 50 times. What does that tell us? All of life is lived and found in the grace of Jesus Christ. The more we see his grace, the more contentment, the more generosity, the more strength, the more power, the more love, the more we sing. The single greatest reason Paul had these things in his life, the single greatest reason was because he had perspective. He knew where he was going. He knew he was going to see Jesus one day so soon. And he knew all that Jesus gave to him. So, with intention, with intention as we end this wonderful, Philippians is one of my favorite books. I'm so thankful we made it through. So with intention right now, we're going to sing a song which is a celebration, listen, of Jesus. The more we see him, all that matters is the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. And so I pray you will be excited and fired up and growing and enthusiastic to tell Jesus how much we care for him and love him. So church, let's do that. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are everything, surpassing worth, joy, life, identity, the supreme value. That's how we can be content to see you. That's why we give. We see you and we go in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. So I just pray even right now there's a, even a joy a growing in our hearts that we can look at the world and be like, yeah, no thanks. Or just like, hey world, you just don't have your hold on me. Because Jesus, Jesus is mine, and I am his. And Jesus is everything. We pray this in Jesus' name.